A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Beware of false prophets who will come to you all in sheep's clothing, but inside are rapacious wolves. By their fruits you will know them. Are grapes gathered from thorns or from thistles figs? Thus, every good tree bears beautiful fruit, but the rotten tree bears wicked fruit. A good tree cannot bear wicked fruit, nor can a corrupt tree bear beautiful fruit. Every tree that does not bear beautiful fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Just Sam is here. Everyone else is not sure yet. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and it's lovely to be with you this morning. You know, I send just like the scripture and the tiniest little blurb uh, to the leadership who chooses the music every week, and so I'm always eager uh, to see what um, kind of secular song, we always do a secular song after passing of the peace, and, and I'm always eager to see where, uh, where the team takes it. And it's interesting to have that kind of like, you know, deeply grounded, proud, um, committed energy today in the face of the scriptures that are about false prophets. Because Whereas you might hear this message preached in a different way in different churches, we're on the receiving end of a lot of those accusations a lot of the time. Now, we're often called false teachers or false prophets. I mean, I say we. It's mostly me. Um, Let's be honest. I'm the one that that talks a lot. Um, But like anytime Cameron goes out in public or like we're on social media um, or even just the church in general. And Almost always that is related to our very public stance on LGBTQ affirmation, right? And so we are accused of being false teachers, false prophets. But what I find really fascinating about this, and that's where that energy comes from, right? Like, we need to know who we are. We need to root ourselves in the ground, in the gospel, in the love of God. And we need to stand firm with one another. And and I like that imagery of rooting, not as a single solitary tree in the desert, but we are a forest, We are a forest of rooted believers whose roots come together. Did you know that trees, not not, um, kind of farmed trees or trees that are planted in these really strategic human ways, but forests, naturally occurring forests, share resources through their roots? We always think of trees as competing for the sunlight, trying to outgrow each other, but actually, trees have family systems. So they root themselves in the ground not only for their own solidness and nourishment, but so that they can be deeply connected to one another, nourishing other trees that are sometimes extremely far away. And so if you're ever feeling that kind of like, stand your ground, I won't back down on my love for queer people, I won't back down on my public commitment uh, for the value of black lives, I won't back down on my care for all of creation, know that you are not 
isolated in your roots, but that the deeper and farther your roots grow, the more you can be nourished by those who are also rooted in that gospel of solidarity and liberation. And that is why we are here. We are here to root ourselves in one another and to be deeply connected, nourishing one another so that when I can't see the sun anymore, you can share your nourishment with me and vice versa, right? So we are here today together to dive into this verse. And I find this verse really fascinating because people will throw out the term false teacher a lot, a lot, but they don't seem to go on to read the rest of the passage very carefully because nobody's talking about fruits. I mean, they're all talking about fruits, but like nobody's talking about fruits. <laughs> my, fa my favorite thing that I can't let go of was a queer pastor uh, who was a mentor of mine said that it was his lifelong dream to start a gay church baseball league called Fruits of the Spirit. So they're talking about us, but they're not talking about the fruit of their belief, right? They're trying to come at queer-affirming Christians and say, you are false teachers because the belief you're teaching is wrong. And yet, when we start to get into the fruits of the teachings of hatred, now they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about what the Bible says. Well, what the Bible says is that by your fruits, you will know them, the false teachers. The Bible says that they will know you are my disciples. Jesus says you, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So now we get into it with semantics, right? What is love? Is it tough love? Is it harsh love? Is it loving to speak truth that banishes and alienates? I'm not going to lie, I actually... I'm, I'm sympathetic to some of those arguments that say, like, sometimes love causes division. Sometimes calling out systems of evil or evil behavior is not perceived as, as love. But that means that we have to be really precise on our terminology. What do we mean by love? And what is our agreed understanding of love? Now, love permeates the gospel permeates the whole of scriptures, permeates all of creation. And love is not something that we can nail down or pin down on paper because love is not something so easily defined. Love is not an idea all by itself floating in the ether. Love is a quality of relationship. Love is righteousness, which is right relationship. Love is the connection between people that is healed and nourished and a give and take. That is love. Love can be hard. Love can be demanding. Love can be painful. Love can call in and call to account. And so, no, love is not always, you know, squishy and fun. But love is contextual. And so many of these conversations about what qualifies as false teaching are not contextual, are not relational, are not grounded and rooted in the context of love. Now, we see Jesus navigating this all the time. Starting from when he's 13, we have stories of him going to the temple and arguing the ideas, living in the world of the law, the world of philosophy, and saying, hey, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, right? 
This is the arguing back and forth about what is true and what is right. But does Jesus stay in the temple all day long arguing about what teachings are true and false? Absolutely not. Jesus dips very publicly in and out of that space of ideas. Jesus engages with people. Jesus shares meals with loved ones. Jesus pours himself into that context. Now, that relationship, that is what grounds love. And so when we're talking about philosophies and what is true and false, it doesn't exist only in the temple. It doesn't exist only in the scriptures. It exists in God's good creation, which is a web and network of loving relationship. Loving relationship suffering indescribable harm in certain parts, right? Harm that needs to be healed. In our attempts to heal that harm, what is our highest priority? Is it being right or is it being in right relationship? Now, all of these things are important, and I, we're going to get a little dry here for a second, so hang with me. I hope you don't have flashbacks to, like, a horrible college philosophy class or that time you met that dude at that bar. <laughs> but I want to talk about, <laughs> I want to talk about two systems, two approaches to ethics. One is called deontological ethics, which sort of means of itself. The other is teleological ethics, which means oriented toward the end. So deontological ethics, the ethics of themselves, one of the most famous philosophers is a guy named Kant. Kant pretty much said something is good if it's good because it's good, which I swear makes more sense than it sounds like. But like, not a ton. <laughs> there is a kind of because I said so energy behind this system of ethics. It's about rules and principles. And Kant argued that something that is right is always right. And something that is wrong is always wrong. This is how Kant gets to the idea that lying is always wrong under every and any circumstance. Now, anytime we get into that always, never territory, things become pretty flimsy. People have, for instance, said to Kant, if you were in the 1940s Germany harboring uh, vulnerable Jewish people in your home and Nazis came to your door and asked if you were doing so, would it be ethical to lie to them? Kant, having been dead for a long time, couldn't actually answer that. <laughs> but the point stands, right? Like, there, there is a lack of nuance to an approach to ethics that says, because I said so. And yet, this is the most common approach to teaching the ethics of the scriptures. Because it says so. Because the Bible says so. Now, I'm not saying that's not in there. The love of the law, the meditation on the law, that is a deontological approach. The Torah teaches us that the law is good in itself because God tells us it is good. And there is some amount of trust that we need to put in that. But deontological ethics really put a huge weight on intention. And Kant basically said, something is good if the intention behind it is good. 
now that we are having a lot more explicit conversations across identity and power status in our, in our communities, and it's not just European cisgender straight white men setting the tone for the conversation, we've got a lot of people saying like, intention's great, love that intention, but what about impact? Right? Intention versus impact is a huge conversation we're having right now. That, like, your intention is lovely. And, like, we can celebrate that. But we cannot have a moral ethics, an approach to life, a gospel kingdom where the only thing that matters is your intention without regard to what actually happens to the people around you based on your beliefs and your words and your actions. This is a conversation that is happening largely towards people in power or towards people's reflection on their own positions of power because people with less power are more affected by the impact than the intention of power. And this brings us to that other approach to ethics, teleological, of the end. This is also known as consequentialism or utilitarianism. Again, really hoping those flashbacks are to the good place and not, and not to these dry places in your history. But this is where we have this instruction from Jesus that says, hey, there are going to be people who are teaching you nonsense. There are going to be really convincing people who are going to tell you things that are not true. How are you going to figure out what that is? Now, Jesus spent all kinds of time arguing in the temple from the law for the law, right? From the sake of itself, what does the law mean? But anytime he was out in the streets, anytime he was out teaching, anytime he was out engaging with people, and people were like, oh, the law, how do I do the law? He's like, mm, relationship, human beings, how does it impact your ability to love God, to love your neighbor, to love yourself? That's how you do it. And here Jesus gets very specific. When someone is teaching you something and you're not sure if it's real or not, the thing that you need to look at is not study the law and see if it logically holds up there. You need to look at the fruit. What is the consequence of that teaching? What is the consequence of your belief? Now, again, this is a conversation the church is deeply unwilling to have, maybe in part because right now a lot of people who haven't had power for a long time are raising their hands and raising their voices and saying, hey, the impact of some of the teachings of modern Christianity have been real bad. Real bad. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't also good things coming from this. And I think this is one of the things that's so complicated about evaluating our beliefs. Our beliefs are not all good and bad. Our beliefs are layered and complex. But if the teachings that we have been promoting within the church have an impact of silencing, abusing, and harming women, people of color, disabled people, queer people, trans people, that's the fruit that's the fruit of the empire version of Christianity. That is the fruit of Christendom as a, a dominating force. 
Now, do we believe that that is the truth of the gospel? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And Jesus is not running around saying, let's throw out the Torah, it's garbage. But Jesus is seeing in his own context the way that the Torah has been used to harm. To harm women. To harm minority identity people. To harm people who are poor. To harm workers. And so Jesus is saying, hey, we need to go back in and reevaluate here. We're not throwing away the law. We are reevaluating whether we truly understand it for this moment and time. And this is the beauty of fruit. Fruit is seasonal. Fruit is contextual. What a tree needs in order to bear fruit is, fruit is cultivation, right? And we cultivate very differently in different seasons. So we don't actually need to be in that always-never territory with Kant. We need to be in the contextual territory of right here, right now, in this moment, in these sets of relationships. How does love show up? And how does the law help us to do it? Because the law isn't useless. The law is a guidepost. The letter of the law is like a big flashing sign to point us toward love. That is the spirit of the law. And we are told what the spirit has as its fruits. The Spirit's fruits are love and joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are relational experiences. The Spirit of the law made manifest in our lives produces right and healing and good relationship. And that's actually how we evaluate our beliefs. Now, I could stand up here for a long time and evaluate the beliefs of others. <laughs> But that's not actually what Jesus is instructing us to do here. Jesus is instructing us to practice what it means to evaluate something good and holy and healthy from something rotten and vile. And that doesn't just live outside of us. That doesn't just live in communities of extreme privilege and domination that exists within our own spirits, our own bodies, our own you know, enmeshment with capitalism and dominance and whatever privileges we may have that shows up in our interactions with one another and our communities. And so I want to invite you to do two things at once. To hold in your spirit that you can root yourself in the firm ground of the gospel and bear the fruits of love in relationship despite those false prophets who are bearing vile fruit telling you otherwise. And to turn inward toward your own body, your own system of relationships, our own root system, and say, hey, always and never are not on the table here. What about right now? What fruit are we bearing right now? What are we cultivating right now? How is our approach to our belief serving or not serving love? Because we will be known by our love if we are disciples, if we are followers, if we are willing to be taught by Jesus. And love is not static. It is not isolated. It is not out in the ether. Love is grounded and real and temporal and here. 
Now, Jesus gives us lots of examples of this. Jesus' favorite phrase, the, the, the offering that Jesus has for us as a template for evaluating our beliefs and our fruits is, you have heard it said, but I tell you. This is Jesus offering a script for deconstruction. Jesus saying, hey, this is the law as we've understood it. Subtext, it's hurting people. This is the law as I interpret it. This is what I'm telling you. Now, Jesus gets to be real bold because he's Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we're not invited to do the same thing. You have heard the scriptures, the tradition interpreted in this way. But I tell you, that's killing people. So what does it mean to follow the spirit of that law now? Because the letter isn't working for us. We have misunderstood something if it is leading to hatred. We have misunderstood something if the law is leading to Christian nationalism. We have deeply misunderstood something if the fruits of Christianity are violence. And so we re-examine what does that actually mean? What is Jesus actually telling us here and now, right now? Now, Jesus isn't the only one giving the examples. God does this from the very beginning. The scripture we had last week was about creation, about one of the creation stories that God gathers from the dirt and creates a human being, right? And we remembered last week what it means to be made of stardust, what it means to be connected to the whole of the universe through the very material being in our bodies and the spirit of God breath in our lungs. But God didn't get it all right on the first try. <laughs> and that's something that we often miss because there are two creation stories in Genesis. And the first one very much emphasizes that God is God, God because I said so kind of energy. Because it's like, and then there was light and it was awesome. And then there was sea and it was awesome. And there were human beings and they were the best, right? Like that's one of the creation stories we have. But the other one that we tend to gloss over right until we get to the bit about the snake and the apple describes that process in a very different way. God makes the human being, the first human being, the Adam, out of the clay, out of the earth, makes an earthling. And then it's like, ooh, you need friends. And then what does God do? God makes, like, birds. And the earthling's like, cool. And God's like, no, 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 I got something better. Okay, let me try again. And then God makes land mammals. And like, the earthling's like, yeah, I love it. And God's like, no, 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 okay, I got something better. I got something better. Right? And this goes on until God says, okay, you know what? You need, you need someone that's like, that like gets you. That's like so with you. They are of you. And then puts the earthling to sleep and takes one of their sides and makes a second one of them. And that's how we get the intimacy and connection of human love. Right? That's the story we have. This is not a God who says, because I said so. If that were the case, it would just be Adam and some birds. <laughs> right? Well, that's your companion. I made that for you. But that's not who God is to humanity. God cares about impact. God cares how God's love is received. And so when the earthling is like, yeah, 
God's like, okay, okay, all right, all right, all right, let me try again. And we can take that model. We are made in God's creative image. Though it may be deeply painful to hear that kind of, you know, the lilt that goes up that's like, yeah, right? Like, it's hard to receive that when we put our best intention out there. It's even harder when someone explicitly says, no, or that hurt me, or that is replicating the things that have hurt me and people like me for generations. That can be really hard to receive. But God models what it's like to receive that and to care more about the impact of the gift, of the offering, of the connection on the person experiencing that than the ego of the giver. And so God comes back and tries again and tries again until right relationship is formed. We are called to be an experimental and open-minded people of love. They will know you are followers of Jesus not because you are reciting the right doctrine, but because you love one another wildly, humbly, experimentally, and right here, right now in the context of relationship. Now, it is really hard. It is really hard to enter into that wobbly territory of relationship, out of that rigid structure of rules. But that is the call to fullness of life and relationship. If God wanted a creation based only on a rigid set of rules, God would not have given us the free will and choice to be creative, to have opinions, to be able to say no thanks. God wanted and God created a much more complex and nuanced creation, a set of identities and people and experiences and opinions that we have to navigate together. And if the fruit of our belief is dogma, if the fruit of our belief is demanding that other people form themselves to our interpretation of a set of rules, that is a betrayal of the earliest moments of creation when God humbly said, I care about what you experience. I care about what feels like love to you. So what is the fruit of your faith, of your life? We are called to receive feedback and to self-reflect. And these things are held together, right? We have the balance of the idea, the inspiration, the action, the philosophy, the law, the gifts of the scripture, which give us a signpost. We don't throw those away. But we use them to orient ourselves through contemplation, evaluation, reflection, and emotion to our community, to our place in history. And this is the goal of the church. This is the point of the temple. Jesus didn't go to the temple to learn the law like it was math. Jesus went to the temple to learn the law like it was philosophy. Jesus didn't go in 
and have them say, oh, two plus two is four, and Jesus is like, no, it's five. They were talking calculus. And again, I know that's why this is scary, right? We can feel out of our depth. How do I know? How do I really know when what I'm doing is the right thing? Anybody here ever, while they're standing their ground and rooting themselves and being part of the forest, kind of go like, uh? It can be terrifying. What if we're wrong? What if we're wrong? The way that we evaluate is collective discernment, is listening to one another. The way that we evaluate is based on our outcomes. We try. We hold the scripture up. We love the scripture here at Zao. We begin with the scripture, but the scripture is a guidepost to community. And so how we evaluate our faithfulness is by the fruit of our belief, our teaching, our actions. Collectively, communally, interpersonally, and individually. And so, as we do this holy work of evaluating, we know that we are not off the hook. We know that there are no always and never to keep us safe. We know that the rigidity of the rules is a mirage, a temptation. And so we do the harder work of showing up to one another, showing up to the context of love. And Jesus says, I will go before and behind you. I am here with you. Not only do we have the example of Jesus' life and teachings, not only do we have the example of God from the moment of creation, not only do we have the history of faithful people, but we have the Holy Spirit poured right into our lungs, inviting us at every moment to be alive, to be connected, to be humbled enough to learn more and more deeply what it means to love right here, right now, in your body, in your community, in this moment. And moment by moment, we will build and experience the perfection of the loving kingdom. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we long to be healthy, fruitful trees. We long to be not just an orchard, but a wild and growing forest. We long to be rooted to one another, nourishing one another with truth when we cannot see the sun. God, may we resist the temptation of rigid, evil, false prophecy. God, may we evaluate our teachings not by how good they make us feel, but by the fruits of their impact on the world. God, may we have the strength of mind to evaluate not just the rules for the sake of themselves, but how the rules intend to bring us into loving relationship with you and one another. God, may the fruit of our lives be love, and may we be always open to learning more what that means in the next moment and the next moment and the next. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for showing us the way. Be love, be loved, be with us. Amen.